Hey guys, this is Natalie with Passion Through Polaroids. Today's extra special Halloween treat of an episode features an interview with Tyler Dreyer of the From the Depths podcast, his very own podcast in which he reviews different horror films. But my absolute favorite part of his podcast is not only the super cool reviews with his funny and witty insight, it's also the fact that he begins by updating everyone with what's going on with the film genre, including any new horror films that might be out or remakes. It's not just about one movie in particular, but he has a passion for horror in general. And Alex and I are all about seizing passion, whether it be through Polaroids or something a little more spooky. We hope you enjoy today's collaboration and we're wishing you a scary safe Halloween. It's a special spooky episode Ooh. from Passion Through Polaroids. This is Natalie. And Alex. And we have a very, very special guest with us today. We have Tyler of the From the Depths podcast. It's too deep! How's it going, guys? Oh, uh, we are so excited to have you today. Tonight. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I got I got my, my cup of coffee ready to go, and, you know, that's all I really need to get me through the night. going to be a spooky one, talking about Goosebumps episode, Say Cheese and Die. So, yes. So we'll be getting a little bit into the episode itself from the show that aired in the 90s. We'll also talk a little bit about the book, which does have some differences. We'll talk a little bit then about the camera that's being used, um, as well as the photos and how that kind of plays into where Polaroid was at in the time of the 90s. And of course, we're all analog lovers, so we'll look a little bit at Goosebumps itself and we'll hear some horror movie recommendations from Tyler, as that is specifically what his podcast focuses on. Yeah, you know, my I started my show uh, a little bit over a year ago, and, you know, I've always been into horror films and ever since, ever since I was young. And what's funny is, when I first heard about podcasts, I actually thought they were really, like, dumb. I'm like, who wants to, who wants to listen to people just talk? And <laughs> <laughs> my buddy who I worked with, if you listen to my show, Sean Ellisabella Cinema, he, he told me about them. And then I started working an hour and a half away um, from where I live. So on that commute, I got a little burnt out on music. Here I am now. I have my own show. I 90% of what I listen to is our other people's podcasts. And uh, it's, it's just something fun to do. Well, it seems like you've done so much with your podcast in such a short amount of time. I have to say I'm a huge fan of your theme song. Like your intro music is so good. My buddy David Beatty, he put that together for me. We were in a band together quite a few years ago and he, you know, started making beats for like hip hop artists and stuff like that. And I'm like, Hey, I know this is probably a little bit out of your of your realm of what you usually do, but I have this idea. He came up with that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm a big fan of it. So thank you. All right. So as is the usual on your podcast, we thought that we would like to turn it over to you to kind of explain what the episode 
Say Cheese and Die is all about for maybe some of our listeners who haven't seen it. Which what? Is, you haven't seen it? I know Alex thinks that everybody who's going to be listening will have already seen this, but just in case, would you go over what the episode summary is for us? Yes. So in the in the show, it it follows Greg and his friends, and they break into this old abandoned warehouse where this squatter named Spidey, that's what they call him, lives. And uh, they come across his camera. When Greg takes photos of people with his camera, the pictures come out weird, and then bad things starts to happen. He needs to essentially find out what's going on to save the day, his friends, and himself. Of course, we were immediately drawn to this episode because of the camera and the use of instant film. But I first came across this episode when I had just started re-watching some Goosebumps episodes when we first met, I think it was about six years ago. Yeah. And Alex tells me, oh, yeah, did you know Ryan Gosling was in one? Like, wait, what? Yeah. I told you that? Yeah, you were the one who told me that. You I didn't know that before. Me. I didn't know that. Ooh, I feel cool. Isn't it crazy to see, like, actors and actresses, like, as, as big as Ryan Gosling? And they're so big now, you don't think of them being in small shows or movies like this. It makes you kind of wonder right now with some of the current shows, who are the kid actors that we're all going to look at later? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of get that already now. You you know, you have Millie Bobby from Stranger Things and Finn Wolfhard as well, like being in It and Godzilla. They're already kind of doing that at even such a young age. This is true. This is true. We are speaking with the expert. Yeah. <laughs> Another actor that was in this episode... I didn't know about until I actually came across your podcast, Tyler, because very recently we hosted a competition on our Instagram page. That was a Say Cheese and Die theme. When I looked at the hashtag Say Cheese and Die on Instagram, I was just seeing what was kind of already out there. When had the hashtag last been used? And in the comment section of one of the posts, somebody mentioned Ryan Gosling, and you had commented in response, yeah, Ryan's in there. Did you also know that Scott Speedman played the cop? And <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> you had commented that. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? And so then I looked up and I figured out who Scott Speedman was. I understood a little bit more about your comment with the strangers. So then I started looking at your profile and discovered your podcast and then started listening to more episodes. But as soon as I saw that you had that same interest and enthusiasm for Say Cheese and Die, I just definitely wanted to make sure that we got the chance to speak with you. That's awesome. What's funny is he's, he's not in the in the episode very long. It's literally maybe 30 seconds of that. Yep, at the door. Yep. Uh, Officer Riddick, the contrast between the two from show to to book is drastically different. <laughs> Steven's such an ass in, uh, in the episode. He really was. He was such a nice guy in the book. I know. It was like some type of like, you know, super humanized and uh, not, in, not in the episode. Would you explain the comment that you made um, in regards to him playing this cop character in relation to what he played for the strangers he played i got 
that was so long ago, and I haven't watched the Strangers in a while, but he played James Hoyt, the burlap sack killer, and then he also played in Underworld, though, too. He was the vampire lichen hybrid, yeah. I'm pretty sure, as well. I'm going to so, still go with the Strangers on that one. Because you were home. Yeah, talk about, like, there's not a lot of movies that terrify me, and, like, now that I'm older... I'll be 30 in March, and in the past five years, I can think of maybe two movies at the top of my the top of my head that I've actually jumped at. But the, the Strangers just gives you that feeling of unease, and I kind of view it as how Nick Castle wasn't as Michael Myers in Halloween. Just that they're both wearing a mask, and it's how they move that terrified you the most too. Yes, I think one of my favorite parts from The Strangers was when Liv Tyler is in the house alone and there is that knock and you can just see her neck jut out in the most... I've just always noticed, I've seen The Strangers I don't know how many times, but during just that scene where her and just the way that you see her neck jut out and that feeling, just, oh, it was just... That somebody's here who doesn't belong. Yeah. Right. What'd you guys think of the sequel to that? No, we didn't see the sequel, actually. Oh, you need to. It is, uh, I won't say it's as good. It has that as much feeling of dread. I mean, it's still dreadful, but it's a lot of fun. Um, the pool, the pool scene in that film is just, is beautifully shot. Definitely check it pray at night. When Movie Pass was still a thing, that's one, one I actually went and saw twice. I haven't seen the sequel, but I have listened to your episode about it. (laughs) (laughs) One of my very first ones. (laughs) Because Scott Speedman wasn't in the sequel. No, I don't think any, uh, if I remember correctly, I don't think any of the the three killers reprised a role. Well, before we go too far down that track, (laughs) bringing us back into the episode, we were saying how there were some differences. The cop, he definitely was a jerk in like the TV episode, but it was so nice in the book. So we thought we would take a moment to talk about what were some other differences that you noticed between the TV episode and the book. Yeah. In the book, there's actually a group of four friends. It's Greg, the main character, Sherry, Bird, and Michael. Michael is not even present at all in the episode. In the book, they're such jerks to him. I feel like Michael gets bullied all the time. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he's just that friend who's kind of there, which I, I kind of feel for, because that's how, how I always felt growing up. You know, reading that and, I don't know, kind of seeing that in film might help kids, you know, to like, I feel like now when people see people getting mean to each other, now we stick up more but another thing that's different you know michael falls in the off the stairs in the book it's actually bird who falls in the episode sherry is a lot meaner of a person as well in the book than the film in the episode sherry's just kind of annoying in both of them (laughs) oh i agree i definitely agree i thought it was so interesting for a difference as well when he fell down the stairs juggling uh, from the first photo that Greg takes in the in the book, they're trying they're playing dress up and they're trying on clothes and he has yeah. feather boas around yeah. his neck and that's how he falls and it's a trail of feather boas falling behind him and the writers are like, nah, let's make him juggle instead. That's way more manly. Like, right. You got to think it is the nineties. I was gonna say, you know, in, in the episode, it's a warehouse where in the book they. It's more of a decrepit, abandoned house, which I thought 
would have been a lot more creepier. The Kaufman House. <laughs> yeah, the Kaufman House, not the Kaufman Warehouse. Right. <laughs> and you know, in all honesty, I kind of felt bad for Spidey a little bit. In the book or the In the book in the book, because he's definitely more near the end, he's definitely more humanized and like he, he kind of explains why he lives the way he does. Where they kind of touch on it a little bit to where he's I guess coming off as genuinely sorry that he has to keep them there forever. But he goes more in depth in the book on what the how the camera came to be and all that. Yeah, and the TV episode, he takes credit for making the camera, but then in the book, we find it wasn't entirely him, which led me to the belief that the book has a moral. Do you think there's a moral to the story? You know, now that you say that, is does one ev- is one evil supposed to trump the other? Because they both say, like, you know, he says he's evil, but the his partner that created it, co-created it, was more evil, so he had to stop him. But he came, he became bad in the process. Ooh, right? You, st- Natalie- you, you started something new. I hadn't even gotten like that deep on it. <laughs> Natalie has a very basic uh, theme that has happened throughout the episode where just bad things happen when you do this one thing. You shouldn't steal. It all happened because people were stealing. Spidey steals the camera. Bad things happen to Spidey. Greg steals the camera. Bad things happen to Greg. So don't steal things that aren't yours. Well, that like so there's a line that I, I took from the book that I wrote in my notes that could be foreshadowing. Does the camera show the future or does it actually cause bad things to happen? Not only picture wise, but you stole the camera. Bad things happen because you stole the camera. Yep, I just feel like the camera was trying to give them a lesson. Just like, hey, look, like, here's a picture of your friend falling. Oh, his ankle suddenly got better. Okay, don't push me. Don't take another photo. Go put the camera back. And then it just seems like each photo, the stakes escalate a little bit more. Yeah. At the same time, the camera itself could be weaponized in the right hands where you would take photos of your enemies. Mm. And until they would then cooperate with you, you would... Keep their photo intact. When they do what you agree to, you tear their photo up, and the bad thing that has happened from the photo then disappears. Because as soon as you tear the photos up, the bad thing doesn't happen anymore. It's reversed. Maybe it was, maybe it was a good thing the two bullies did not get their hands on it, or did they? Or did they? <laughs> a couple other differences. You know, they in the book they talk about Greg does have a somewhat of a passion for photography they talk about how he has like this little dingy camera and in the episode they don't mention anything of it but i caught something when he first gets back home with the camera he he walks into his bedroom and there is a dingy crappy camera on a tripod and on the left corner frame oh we'd have to go back i don't that is such a unique detail. Thank you for pointing that out. We have something to go back and look for. Greg is really much of a... He's much of a better character in the book himself. And it's such a difference between him telling the truth to the cops in the book to where he actually tells Scott Speedman about the photo. And instead in the episode, he lies about it. And there's just... there's. Different instances in the book where Greg is just, he's made out to be a bad guy, and he really does have a passion for photography, and is trying to do the right thing. Yeah, and he, he, he seems like such a good kid, because he, he says how he hates lying, and tries to find a way to tell the truth without telling the truth. But again, if 
if you were a kid and you some you came up to your parents with this crazy thing, like no one's gonna believe you. I'm sure we've all been there. Like I'm not giving it a try. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather just be grounded for a week than go to the mental hospital. Oh yeah, I've, I've talked to my share of psychiatrists and stuff I've quote unquote seen or quote unquote haven't seen. But <laughs> did you guys notice any other differences? Oh, so one of the uh, one of the main things that just is such a weird jumble from the book to the episode is the birthday scene. So the yeah. birthday scene with Sherry, Greg takes the photo of her by the tree. She's not in the photo. In the TV episode, all of a sudden, Greg's brother comes up. Hey, Dad is in the hospital. He has to leave from Sherry's birthday party. To the hospital, whereas in the book, there is an entire baseball scene where Bird gets smacked with a baseball and is rendered unconscious with his eyes rolled back and his neck at a peculiar angle, to which, where that happens way before, and then he is told about his father, and Sherry's birthday party is then the grand finale at the end to where it is a standalone event where she disappears from the woods. All of the kids go in the woods to play truth or dare. It's the so parents are inside. All the kids come back. All right, the birthday cake is lit. The candles are going. Where is Sherry? Nowhere to be found. And one of the most beautiful things that R.L. Stein had written in the book, in my opinion, was the way he described the scene of the untouched birthday cake with the red wax pooled on the frosting and the forks and the plates all set up and everything untouched. What a difference! I don't know who was like, yeah, yeah, just take that part up and mix those two together, but that's not the cake that I want. Do you want a fun fact really quick that I found out? always. So in the in the book in the, in the episode, there's that dream sequence sequence right where he has a dream where he takes a photo of his family, the printer uh, the picture prints out, and they're, they're all skeletons. First of all, in the episode, how bad was that CG? <laughs> <laughs> it looked like you cut out a skeleton from a Dila de la Muertos coupon in the newspaper right. and just put it over like a four by six. <laughs> Uh, but I found out that the cover art for this book was made, and Scholastic was nervous about putting it out or something. Um, so R.L. Stein, because the, the story was finished, he made that sweet sequence to put in the book so the cover art could be a thing. Oh, wow. So the dream itself wasn't originally meant to be in the book. He added it after the picture had already been created. Correct. Yep. He, he the story was already completed, and he just quickly wrote that in there to get it in, so uh, the cover art can stay. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Can I ask, like, where did you find that out? Uh, there's like a Goosebumps wiki. There's also this great. I'm gonna plug it really quick. There's this great Instagram page, uh, Goosebumps Haven, that posts so much cool stuff. Uh, very nostalgic. It, it could be like a Goosebumps lunchbox or still behind the scenes stills from the episodes and stuff like that. So definitely check that out. Very cool. All right, so I got one more for us. One of the scariest differences from the episode to the book is after the birthday party, Greg then goes home. Nobody is home at Greg's house. 
after he was at a birthday party in which his friend disappeared. He goes home to find his room ransacked, gone through by Spidey. He was inside of his room and in his house, and he doesn't go across the street and tell the cops. He cleans it up because he is so scared of what might happen. And to me, that was one of the scariest parts, to have him know where you live and where you sleep at night. And as a child, that would be one of the scariest things for me. And to not have that in an episode, I was like, maybe they were worried about scaring kids too much. But for me, that really stuck with me. Other than the ending, of course, which is a huge difference as well. But we'll get to that in a little Right. Yeah, he didn't even do like a sweep of the house or anything either. He just, I would have grabbed a baseball bat or something and opened every door at least. Right? Greg's like, let me clean my room real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Mom's going to yell at me if she comes home and sees She hates when my socks are on the floor. (laughs) Damn it, Spidey. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I did one of my, I think one of my favorite, and it's such a small thing. But one of my favorite things about the episode were the goggles that Spidey wears. Yes, yes, they definitely add something to it. They make him stand out. Tyler, in your opinion, which do you think was a better ending? The TV episode or the book? The ending of the book was kind of more open, I feel. Well, I know they both could have been more. They both are essentially more open because there was, mm, that's hard. I don't know. Alex, you want to share your thoughts on this one? For me, I prefer the book because of one simple fact, and we'll get to it. So in the episode, spoiler alert, this is the ending of the episode. They're returning the camera to the warehouse, not the Kaufman haunted house, which is a lot creepier. So they go to the warehouse, they bring the camera back. Spidey goes into this rant because he's very jaded against life, which he is not in the book at all. He just explains things and is very patient and calm. And he won't let them leave. You know too much, which is the same from the book. And in the TV episode, they snap a photo of him, and he is then trapped inside of the camera. He disappears, they escape, and the two bullies come down in the basement, and they then take the camera, and he pops back out of the camera, essentially. He's still around. Who knows what's going to happen? So that's the TV episode. And in the book, in the book, they go back to the house. Spidey comes down, patiently explains that he's an inventor and evil and they cannot leave. They snap a photo of him. They get halfway up the stairs and hear a thud. They look back and it's dark and they see a figure laying on the ground, eyes rolled back, not breathing, and he's dead. Yeah. They saw a dead body. As a kid, like, that's that's way different than that's someone... That's way different than... Oh, he's trapped in the camera, guys. Like, they didn't look back and see anything, and so in the book where they saw a dead body instead, to me, that was a little creepier. And at the same time, the bullies go down into the basement... They take a photo. We don't know what happens. Like, we don't even know their reaction. We don't know their reaction. We don't know anything about that. So there is still an openness to the book. So, yeah, the more I'm, like, we're talking and thinking, like, there's could be some comparisons between Greg and Spidey, you know, very small, but in a very weird way. Mm-hmm. See, they both stole a camera. They both hid a camera. I'm telling you. They both like photography, camera. apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they both thought they were doing the right thing. 
Well, speaking, so thinking of these differences, they're kind of moving us along. Let's talk about the camera itself and some of the differences. Tyler, in your opinion, do you feel like the book's camera was different than the episode's camera? I would say so. In the in the episode, it, it seems more like alien-esque, I guess, would be the best way I could describe it. I guess more big and bulky, where, if I remember, granted, I power read the book today. Um, but it doesn't, it just seems like a normal Polaroid camera. Yeah, it was more of a regular camera in the book. Like I said, it had a telephoto lens. The lens came out. It was just a black noting camera. And the photos actually eject from the bottom of the camera in the book, as opposed to the episode where they eject from the front mm-hmm. of the camera, which many people may not think of as a huge difference. But the coolest thing about the, this difference is the photos ejecting from the bottom is very similar to a camera that never got invented by Edwin Land called the clamshell camera, into which the photos would eject from the bottom and have their own pod or slot compartment to then rest in and develop and be safe from light. So I don't know if Arl Stein knew of the history of Polaroid or Edwin Land, but to have a photo that ejects from the bottom instead of from the front, which are like all other Polaroid cameras that they mentioned in the book, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool that he has a camera that hasn't been invented in both the sense of real-world Polaroid and Goosebumps world. And, uh, you know, I, I try to do a little bit of research on cameras and photography, um, you know, this, uh, that's more, obviously your guys' forte, but this, so this episode was done in 94 and in 1995, if this is correct, please correct me if I'm wrong. Apple and Kodak were the first digital cameras for consumers in 95. So that would, digital cameras would still be technically a newer technology and Polaroids at that time, I believe was still probably been a little bit popular. Yes. So at that time, even when there were the digital cameras in the early to mid-90s, they were still super expensive. And most people, like, if you were a professional, you might have had a digital camera. But the average American did not have a digital camera. And we were just talking about this the other day, too, in that it was such a unique time period when it came to film, and I think it's also shown in both the book and the TV episode, and that we were in a huge transitional state between film and digital, where no one was really buying film anymore, and Polaroid was kind of on its way out, but there's a whole other business aspect to that that we won't get into right now. But with film going away and digital on the rise, but not necessarily accessible to the average person in the 90s, it was a big deal to have your picture taken. Everyone wanted to get their picture. Hey, take my picture. How else would you get those awkward family photos? <laughs> right? Or like, even in the early 2000s, like, you know, with the start of MySpace, like, to have your picture, like, ooh, this is definitely my new profile picture because you just even have a picture of yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, MySpace. So much time wasted on that. I don't remember any of HTML or anything you had to do for your sick layouts. See, if we had all just stuck with MySpace, we would all be coding right now. (laughs) We would have the skill. That's funny. But yeah, I definitely think that that transitional state between film and digital really helped make this book 
which then, of course, the episode came from. It made it all even possible. Yeah. I feel like the emphasis on all of, especially like in the TV episode, the emphasis of all of the characters, like, oh, great, now you can take my picture. Hey, is my picture ready? Just everyone wanted to see their picture. And I have watched this episode with a younger audience and they don't understand that. Like I've repeatedly heard that when like younger kids have watched this. So like, why does everyone want to see their picture? What's a big deal? Like you can see your picture whenever because they are just so used to seeing digital photos now that they couldn't grasp that concept at all. Why it was such a big deal to have their picture taken. Yeah, I remember going to store with my mom to get film developed and getting those cheap point and shoot cameras that would cost like $10 to get the film developed and that anticipation of waiting. Um, now we live in a world where everybody wants instant gratification, unfortunately, don't have patience to wait for anything. And like, you know, I, I work in retail, so I, I work for Best Buy and Polaroids have made such a comeback in the past. I've been there for five years in the past, I'd say three or four years that I've been there. There's so many different companies now that have their own version and, you know, and people get them for the holidays. They, they they have cool film borders and stuff. So it's cool to see something so old and that, you know, kind of did fizzle out, make a comeback. Oh, we're really happy that you say that. That's really cool. So speaking of the camera and the photos it actually took, have you had any creepy or ominous photos yourself, Tyler? I have. I've had a couple. So I'm going to, going back to kind of, when we joked about psychiatrists and everything and having to talk to people, I don't talk about this a whole lot because, you know, people sometimes don't believe in the supernatural and stuff like that. But one could have been my imagination when I was younger. I think I used to see shadow people. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them at all. Essentially, they're just a black figure you see uh, on your walls and stuff like that when you're younger. So fast forward to 15 years, 20 years later. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she would stay over when we lived at my mom's house, my mom's apartment, and she would wake up and see like this black figure in the corner of my room, get this feeling that somebody was staring at. And uh, this this correlates to the picture I sent, I messaged you guys earlier in the week. So it'll be our cover photo, by the way. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So, that way you guys know what we're talking about. Look at your phone. You will see this creepy photo that Tyler is about to explain. So, that and I, there's a little bit of the story before I get into the actual photo. But, uh, so that happened a few occasions. We had a friend that messed with crystals. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty open-minded person. So, for the sake of her to feel more comfortable, and I do believe in, in this stuff. I believe anything is possible. He came over. We shut all the lights off. We heard a giant a giant slam. Everybody that was in the apartment was in my room. The slam was in the corner. We turned the lights back on. The crystals were askew. So, yep. <laughs> so she wakes up one night, a little while after that, goes to the bathroom, which is literally out my door, take two steps, you're in there. She heard scratching on my mom's bedroom door, like in the top corner. So the next morning, I wake up and I'm getting ready um, to take a shower. I have my phone in my hand. My phone must have kicked open Instagram and the photo and it took a picture. Now, they'll see the picture. I'm not this, 
I'm I'm not the skinniest person in the world. I'm not the biggest. I'm a you know I'm a decent sized guy. And well, I look at this picture. I'm like, what the hell is that? Turn the brightness up and everything. And at first, I thought it was me. But I'm like, "Mm, the chest to stomach ratio is off. Nobody else was in the bathroom. And where the photo is at, it's not me in the mirror. And then that you know you got that spooky photo that I sent you guys. Oh my gosh, as you were telling that story, Alex was just staring at me and I'm like bundled up, shaking my head, just like, nope, nope, I'm not down with any of this. It was just so crazy because I wasn't wearing, uh, you know, a white t-shirt because that's what it kind of looks like. You know, my, my mom was in her room, my brother was in his room. There is a face you can distinguish and from that angle, it looks like it's just somebody standing right in that, right in that area. It does. Like, I can't look at that photo for too long. Like the first, when you had sent it initially, I like I had seen it and Alex was already asleep and it was dark and same thing. I looked at it, I was like, I can't look at this too long. No, thank you. <laughs> and, you know, I, I could have been, I played with Ouija boards when I was younger. Who knows what the hell I brought in. But there was one other time too. This is, uh, I personally had two experiences. Um, I was in seventh or eighth grade. Um, we had a place where I lived called the Lincoln Inn, and the rumor is that the third story of this place, it was a hotel, was haunted, got turned into a restaurant. No one's allowed to be on that third floor because somebody got hurt. Um, they hear kids laughing, stuff bouncing off the stairs. So me and my buddy, we went and took pictures, and in this, we took a photo of the window, and in this window, there is a shroud, and you can see a very pale white figure in the window and that was on a very crappy digital camera but something was there did you send that photo to us as well no that that was so old that my grandma didn't have didn't have that camera anymore and i thought she saved it like on the computer but she must have deleted it um i bet greg stole it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh there was one other photo that it wasn't directly with me, but when I was going through your contest photos, there was one where a guy's face was kind of scribbled out. But the reason that one stuck out to me is because my my mom had this photo of her cousin and her cousin's husband when she was younger. And her cousin ended up getting murdered. And her husband's face had like this black smudge across it. And that's how it developed. And he was actually a suspect in the in the murder. Um, they couldn't pinpoint anything, but I remember hearing that story when I was younger, and that just always stuck with me. Oh, that is intense, and that does sound very similar to the photo that we had in our contest. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that photo, because even as we were tallying up the votes, that particular photo, it wasn't the winning photo, but it was definitely my favorite photo, because in addition to that, to share a little bit of the Polaroid background, the mark that is on the other, I believe, a gentleman's face, those marks um, more than likely what it looks like is a roller mark. Um, so as the photo comes out of the camera, the rollers like help push it out and they press all the chemical pods down and help that release. Roller marks, they are very random. It's just like a little flaw. And mm-hmm. because it is such a random flaw, to have it perfectly across someone's face like that i just felt like it was the one that matched up the most with the idea of say cheese and die that something might happen to this person yeah 
you know, obviously this photographer is listening. I really do not hope anything negative happens to your friend. <laughs> <No>. like <laughs> but it does look very ominous and you should just stay in touch and call them and make sure they're okay. Please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys had any uh, spooky like, experiences with pictures and whatnot? I don't think we've had any spooky photos ourselves. I get spooked way too easily in general. It's actually funny. I was we were listening to your most recent podcast episode on QB Halloween. Which was hilarious. It was awesome. And I just loved that you mentioned uh, how is it that QB as a character is so obsessed and in love with Halloween, but is such a scaredy cat. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really me. I love all of these spooky things, but I watch like one horror movie a year. Cause that's all I can handle. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna change that. Uh, no, I sleep next to her. Please don't. <laughs> I'll I'll ease you into it. She had <laughs> nightmares one night when we watched Goosebumps two before bed. <laughs> she had nightmares. She can't even watch Goosebumps before bed. Jack Black just scared her so much. That was very coincidental. I think that was a coincidence that I had. I did not think it was Goosebumps too, but yes, we joke about that now. That's hilarious. I'm all about it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, going back before I get any more embarrassed here now, going back to um, the photos we had shared in our contest, were there any others that had stood out to you? Uh, there was one, I think she had, she had like reddish hair. She was kind of standing in a field. That one was very like, I, I got a very ominous feel to it, uh, which I really dug. Definitely. I felt like it was very vampire-like, but with the sun, yeah. I don't know, like it could be just coming up or just going down. Yeah, that's that's really the only one I could think of that really stuck out. There was one with a kitty though that I liked just because it had a cat. Oh, actually, the one that you're talking about, it was a puppy. But was we, it a, okay? Yes, but we learned from the photographer herself that her dog has a slight underbite, oh. and when she went to take a photo, the photo actually stalled for a moment. And so it caused the blurred effect, and so she thought that the puppy looked a little possessed. <laughs> Cute little possessed puppy! Hey, still, 10 out of 10, good boy. Or good girl. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then a couple of uh, my favorites, too. One of them was from our dear friend Addison, who had a really spooky morning. Oh, yeah, she got everyone involved in her spooky morning. Which was really cool. It was one of the last ones. Um, and another one from her dear friend Barbara, um, which was an emulsion lift with the skull on there, which I thought was just really cool. I like the outlines of it. It's creepy. It makes me just want to take the emulsion lift Polaroid and put it on my face and go walk around outside and scare people. That was terrifying. What are you talking about? This is my mask. Uh, actually, I like the one of the guy uh, in between the falling down tree oh. with the breath for one. Yes. So the really cool thing about that particular photo with the tree is it was actually shot in Berlin and the tree itself was struck by lightning and it's left this huge, they described it as almost like a house-like structure that people tend to go visit. And the fact that it was struck by lightning really just added that creepy effect. And yeah. Especially with the duochrome film. 
the yellow and black, I didn't really initially think of it as scary when that film was released. And so I think seeing a few other people use the duochrome film in such a sinister way has also really encouraged me to start taking spooky like photos with the duochrome film. Oh, so that's actually a film. That's not a filter on top of it. Right. So every once in a while, like Polaroid will do something a little different. I think it started with Impossible Project. They did like a pink and black one. I think there's been a blue and black. And so Polaroid released a special edition yellow and black. Oh, that's awesome. And then, of course, there was our winning photo, which was also taken on duochrome film, featuring all of those skulls. Yeah, just I think the pattern that went with that and the skull itself was pretty cool. And maybe yeah. even the fact that their that their face is covered by the mask and you can't see these defining features of their face, but yet those are all the things you see surrounded in the skulls. Yeah. As a side note, it was very odd today when I realized I was complimenting somebody on their mask that they were wearing, but it was a Halloween pattern fabric. And I said, oh, I really like your Halloween mask. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that there'd ever be that day. Yeah, my uh, my buddies uh, invited me to a Halloween party. And I think the joke went over his head when I asked him if I had to wear a mask or not. <laughs> Do you have any giveaways or contests that you would also want to share? Not, I don't have, I usually do one, I did one last Halloween. I've just been really busy. Um, I don't have anything going on right now. And say if you are listening and you live in, the uh, Toledo, Ohio uh, area. I'm kind of sponsoring a tattoo contest for my buddy, Ben Eisman, uh, at his tattoo shop. He works at called Steel Addictions. If if you get tattooed by him and uh, your tattoo wins the contest, I do have like a care package to give to that winner. Nothing too crazy. Awesome, but that's still pretty cool to know. And we really appreciate that you took the time to also check out the participants in our contest. As we start to wrap up our interview tonight were there any other goosebumps episodes or books that you also really liked because this is clearly one of our favorites what's a goosebump favorite of yours when i was younger i went to a catholic uh, elementary school so goosebumps books weren't always at my disposal that's when i really fought, fell in love with the library and uh so i would kind of go through books here and there Night of the Living Dummy series, The Haunted Mask, but the probably the two I watched the most when I was younger, Grandma bought Stay Out of the Basement and uh, Night and Terror Tower on VHS, and I burned through those so much I could probably quote the entire thing if I really, really tried. <laughs> Stay Out of the uh, Basement was a good one. Yeah. It was. Honestly, well, right. like not being able to trust your parents, that was terrifying. Yeah, and then not knowing who your real parent was, too, when it came down to it. The Haunted Mask, I always caught when it was on TV. I think that is still probably the, the scariest out of all of them. You know, one, she's being bullied. That's terrifying for anybody. Mm-hmm. The the worm sandwich scene always gets to me still. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, our different reactions. I'm sad. You laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those are the ones that always pop out. Werewolf and Fever Swamp was always fun. I, I The part twos are the ones I watch a lot now, though. So yeah, like Welcome to Dead House part one, part two, uh, the werewolf skin one. Just the, the episodes that have one, that have two, that are two-parters. 
Yeah, there's like um like Welcome to Horrorland is a two part episode as well. Yep. Oh, that's okay. I got you. Which makes me think, why wouldn't you just do that? Which say cheese and die if you're gonna condense all those scenes down, just make it into two parts. They could have. There's the say cheese and die again, but when I saw that's that Greg wasn't crazy. Ryan Gosling, why was I gonna watch it? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Gosling had to go do Remember the Titans. Is he in Remember the Titans? Yes, he yeah. was. Hence why I said Ryan Gosling had to go do Remember the Titans. I haven't seen Remember the Titans. What? I know the song. You've never seen Remember the Titans? What the? This, is a, this is a horror movie diehard fan telling you you need to go watch Remember the Titans. Yeah, you have a horror movie fan who has his own podcast telling you to go watch a Disney movie. <laughs> Hey, strong okay. side. Strong side. All right, I can handle it. I can handle it. <laughs> so, on that note, because you are a horror movie expert, before we part ways, do you have any horror movie recommendations for our audience that center around photography? So, this was actually a very hard question because there's not that not that I've seen a lot of movies that are focused around photography. It's more found footage with like a video camera. But the ones that I thought of that do have photography, there's Polaroid from 2017. I have not seen all the way through. I stopped it because it was baby. way too good and you couldn't handle how good it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my, my baby's teething. So she's waking up in the middle of the night now. Occasionally there's shutter which was, I think, originally a Japanese film, then it was remade as, you know, we need to remake everything <laughs> that are a foreign film. And uh, The Girl in the Photographs, that's also on Netflix. With it being a video camera, I'm still going to plug a few movies for people to check out. Uh, the House is October Built, Hell House LLC, and uh, The Bay are probably three of my favorite found footage movies in the past 10 years. Oh, we were definitely talking about watching one of these for Halloween. We were joking about watching Polaroid, maybe, on Halloween. <laughs> um, but between those three, Polaroid, Shudder, or the girl in the photographs, which do you think would make the best Halloween night for us? Girl in the photographs. <sighs> All right, that's my one scary movie for the year. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure I will. You're recommending it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate just your knowledge and your time and your good laughs and your stories. Of course, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Would well, you have any words for our listeners before we go? Yeah. Uh, if you like what you heard from me, uh, you can check me out on Instagram at From the Depths Podcast, on Twitter at From the Depths OH. You know, if you like what you hear, rate and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review these guys. They're a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, you should help them by spreading them more. So I didn't know a lot. I don't know a lot about photography, so I'm definitely going to keep my ears out more for episodes so I can get educated. Aw, thank you so kindly. We appreciate that. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, and just like Greg... In Goosebumps or anything else in life uh, with horror films, uh, being scared is a huge part of it. And I think one of the great things that we love to see in Goosebumps in any horror film is 
somebody being scared and doing something anyways, because without them doing that, the plot doesn't move forward, and that's not a movie that anybody wants to watch where somebody cowers away and runs and hides from their fears instead of opening that door or turning that corner and being scared and just doing it anyways. So if there's anything that you take away from this episode, I hope that it's that. This has been Passion Through Polaroids. Thanks for listening.